continue today with the Man, the Image of God series. And we've dealt previously in this series with uh, the will of man. And in this uh, particular series we're dealing with now, we're dealing with the conscience of man. And so we've seen up to now that um, man has an inward man and he has an outward man. The scripture teaches us that our outward man is perishing, speaking about our physical bodies. Before that is what our outward man is. And the outward man is made up of various parts. Uh, our bodies have different parts to it, and we saw um, each part of the body has its own function. And the heart has one function, the brain has, has another function. And so when we wanted to look at the inward man, we looked at the inward man from the same point of view, from the fact that the inward man also has different parts to him. And as the outward man has different parts, and each part has its own role and its own function, so we've identified the various parts of that inward man and we're looking now at the various roles and functions of those various parts and how each part of the inward man um, basically um, performs its role so that we as a, a, a whole person can in function correctly. And so we need to, and we need to understand how the various uh, parts of the inward man function. We've identified that uh, man is made of, he has a, the inward man has a spirit, which is really the, the, the real man, that's the part of man that is born again. Uh, we saw that the inward man also has a soul, and that soul is in fact our minds, our understanding. And we saw that the scripture shows us that the spirit and the soul can be separated, but only by the word of God. Otherwise, they, they are not separate. Um, they are, uh, God has designed the two to function together. And he, but the fact that they can be separated does indicate to us that there are two different parts of the inward man. And uh, as we've said, it's really only the Word of God that can do that. Um, and then we saw that uh, the, there is a will of man. Man has a will and that's part of the inward man. And we saw in the previous series that the will of man reigns supreme in the makeup of man. Uh, for it is with our will that we decide what we're going to do. Um, the scripture teaches us that uh, in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul teaches us to um, walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so the choice is given to us as to what we're going to do, as to whether we're going to walk in the Spirit or whether we're going to walk in the flesh. And we, we make that choice as an act of our free will. Our spirits, which are born again, will always want us, obviously, to walk in the Spirit. Our flesh, which is still sinful in nature, will obviously always want us to continue to walk in the flesh. And so as, as an act of our will, we decide which way we're going to go. And so the will of man reigns supreme in the make of, of man in this life. And we saw um, God will never override the free will of man um, in this life. Um, that the free will of man reigns supreme. God always places the choice before us and we decide what we're going to do. God knows how to influence our choices. We've gone through that in the series on the will of man, um, and we're not going to look at that again. And then we saw that man, a, a fourth part of the inward man, is uh, the conscience of man. And we've been looking at the conscience of man, what role the conscience plays um, in the makeup of man. Why has God given to man a conscience? And then we looked at where the conscience originated. We went back to the Garden of Eden, and we saw that when they partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that the eyes of their conscience was opened for the very first time. That's Adam and Eve. So when they sinned against God, their spirits died on that, in that instant. 
But at the same time, the eyes of their conscience were opened. And for the very first time, they now had knowledge of good and evil. And their conscience then convicted them that what they had done was evil. And now in their fallen state, to walk around naked was not um, a good thing. It was now an evil thing. And so they uh, made coverings for themselves. They hid themselves when our Lord uh, came into the garden. And all of that took place as a result of the fact that their conscience was, um, the eyes of their conscience was open for the very first time. And so we were introduced to that fourth part of man, which is the conscience of man. We saw that the conscience is not mentioned at all under the Old Covenant. Uh, the first time we see the conscience mentioned in the Bible is in the, the Gospels. Um, John's Gospel, John uh, chapter 4. Uh, the incident where the woman was caught in adultery and uh, those men had set her up and had tried to then entrap the Lord in getting him to transgress the law of Moses. Nevertheless, our Lord knew that they had a conscience and our Lord dealt with them on that level so that their conscience could then convict them. Well, that's exactly what happened. Their conscience did convict them and they couldn't uh, follow through with what they were threatening to do. And so that, was, that is the introduction in the scriptures to the conscience. We see it for the very first time mentioned as the conscience. Now the conscience had always been there right from the time of Adam, because as we saw in the Garden of Eden, uh, the eyes of the conscience was open. But the Bible does mention it as the conscience throughout the Old Testament. But we see it mentioned in the New Testament for the very first time. We also mentioned about the fact that uh, uh, we have progressive revelation in scripture. Because the saints under the New Testament have far more revelation than the saints under the Old Testament had. The saints under the Old Testament did not understand about the man being a spirit being uh, that could be born again. Remember, Nicodemus came to speak to our Lord, and our Lord said to him, Unless you're born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Um, and Nicodemus, his mind couldn't get, that, couldn't get around that because he was thinking in the natural. And so he did not understand spiritual things. Uh, we, in hindsight, because we're born again, the veil's been taken away in Christ, we now do understand that it is our spirits that are in fact born again. But with regards to the conscience, the conscience is now mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, in the epistle writings of Paul and Peter. Um, they mention the conscience quite frequently, Paul more than others, because Paul had more revelation given to him than, than others. Even he had more revelation than Peter and John, um, which is why an angel was assigned to him full-time by Satan to buffet him um, because of the abundance of the revelations that he had received. He teaches us that himself in the book of Corinthians. And so we, as the, the saints under the New Testament, have received an abundance of revelation of um, uh, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And also we're looking at this creation called man, for we have been made in the image of, of, of God, and it's important that we understand how we have, how we made, so that we can know how we can and should function. And so we're dealing now with the conscience of man, and we've seen, as I say, it really is brought to the fore in the New Testament, and uh, we get to understand this uh, concept of the conscience um, under the New Covenant. And we saw that our conscience is given to us by and large. The function of the conscience is given to mankind to get him to choose good and reject evil. That, that is the 
primary, that's the only role of the conscience. It, it serves no other uh, purpose in the makeup of man. It is there as an umpire and it blows its whistle when we're going to transgress and it keeps quiet or it actually agrees with us when we're going to do the right thing. And so that is what the conscience's role is in man. And we saw that every single person on the planet has a conscience. There's no one who is born into this earth without a conscience. Everyone has a conscience. Um, and uh, we saw that when we're born again, our spirits are made new creations in Christ Jesus. And our conscience and our spirit will from there on always be in agreement. Now for unbelievers, it's the other way around. Because they are spiritually dead, their conscience and their spirit will always be at opposite ends of each other. They will always be in disagreement. Uh, but when we come into the kingdom of God, it changes because our spirits are now born again. Our spirits now have the nature of God. And so our spirits and our conscience will, both of them, want to do that which is good and shun evil. And we saw in Romans 2.15, the scripture says, Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And between themselves, that is between their spirits and their conscience, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And that just speaks about a born-again believer that uh, whatever decision we decide to do, make of an act of our will, because don't forget, the will is still completely free, and the will is the decider. What is now brought to bear on the, the to influence the decisions of our will is our conscience and our born-again spirit wanting to do the right thing. And so we can, we have greater influence to do the right thing because the conscience and the spirit of, of the born-again believer are always in sync. They're never out of sync. They always do uh, the same thing, basically. And then we saw that our conscience will always convict us if we lie. Our conscience will always convict us if we disobey uh, the laws of the land. Um, and so th that is really what the conscience is, is there for. It's to guide us to do what is good and to reject what is evil. It is purely that. It's a, a yes, no uh, thing. It has no, it's not the voice of our spirit. It, uh, people get confused. They think that the conscience is the voice of the spirit, but that's not the case at all because if it was the voice of your spirit, the conscience of the unbeliever would make them do whatever is wrong because the, the, their spirit is dead and their spirit is evil, our Lord said. And because remember our Lord said to the guys, he said, if you guys being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And so even those who are evil, their conscience, because we saw the only reason that a person who's evil can give good gifts to their children is because their conscience convicts them to do what is right and to shun evil. And so uh, if it was true that it, the conscience is the voice of the spirit, the voice of the unbelieving spirit is an evil uh, spirit because it's a, uh, it has the nature of the devil. And so their conscience would then be telling them do what is wrong and reject what is good. But that's not the case at all. Even amongst unbelievers, the conscience always does the same thing. It always tells the person, believer or unbeliever alike, you can do this, you can't do that. It judges between good and evil. And it, it steers the person to do good and reject evil. That is the purpose of the conscience. And so we saw that um, unbelievers also have consciences. Um, and then we had a look at uh, an, an example of how 
believers can in fact affect the consciences of even unbelievers. And we are not going to go into any depth on it because we, we dealt with it in a bit of, quite a bit of detail in the previous teaching. But the, the, the scripture we looked at it was in 1 Corinthians 10 uh, where Paul speaks about if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you choose to go and they say to you, the food that we put before you has been offered to our, uh, our gods as a sacrifice, you're not to partake of that food. And he said the reason we don't as Christians is because if we do, we will negatively impact on their conscience. Their conscience would not be able to convict them that partaking of that food is actually wrong because eating anything, we understand that a sacrifice to whatever God is in fact something that is sacrificed to demons. The book of Corinthians teaches us that. And we're not to partake of that because that is evil, that is not good. And so when the Christian says, sorry, I can't partake of this because I serve Christ Jesus as my Lord, then the, the unbeliever's conscience is able to be activated and convict him of what he's doing is in fact wrong. Even though he's been doing it all of his life, he's been brought up in that particular religion. His conscience would be able to convict him. But if the Christian were to partake of that food, his conscience would no longer be able to convict him. And in fact, the Christian would be weakening his conscience. And so you can go back and look at the, listen to the previous teaching. But that's the gist of how the believer can in fact affect the consciences of unbelievers. And so it's very important for us as believers, Paul said, I always strive to have a good conscience. And as believers, we should always strive to have a good conscience. Um, for a good conscience is one that uh, is able to walk in the things of God. One whose conscience has been damaged um, struggles to work, walk in the things of God because their conscience can no longer be brought to bear to convict them uh, in certain areas. Um, and then we had a look at the conscience of, the, of children and we saw that um, the conscience of children is not awakened. Remember when, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, it was then that their eyes were opened. Now Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden roughly for a period of about 100 years because it was, uh, Adam was about 130, he was 130 years old when um, Cain was, bo uh, was born. Um, oh, no, that wasn't Cain. When Seth was born, he was 130 years old. Um, so it would have been roughly about 100 years old, just over 100 years old, when Cain and Adam and Abel were born. So roughly for about the first 100 years of Adam's life, he dwelt within the Garden of Eden. And it was only towards the end of his time that they then, him and Eve, uh, disobeyed God, obviously, and... Uh, they, they died spiritually and they were taken out of the Garden of Eden. Um, but it was that late in their lives that their eyes were opened. Now, when we look at the lifespan of Adam, Adam lived to 930 years. Um, all of that lifespan of those individuals that lived before Noah's day, before the flood, from Adam through to Noah, um, people lived on the earth for close to a thousand years. Um, no one got to a thousand years. I think it was Methuselah went to 987 years or something like that. He lived the longest of them all. But nevertheless, there were a lot that lived well over 900 years. Now, we need to understand that when they lived that length of time, they didn't 
age like we age now. So it wasn't the case that by the time they got to 80 and 90 years old, they were doddering old people, and now they still had another 800 years to live in that doddering state. Not at all. Um, God slowed their metabolism down of their bodies so that they, they aged in a similar manner to the way, way, way we age now. So halfway through their lives, at 450 to 500 years old, they would then be in a, in a, a physical state, I'm talking purely about the body now, in a physical state of being a roughly a 35-year-old male to, or a person today. Um, and so that's how their, their bodies um, deteriorated, perished over that period of time. That's how God worked it. So when Adam and Eve were 100 years old, we think, well, 100 years old is quite old. But in fact, in the, the time span of 1,000 years, it's not that old. It's quite young. Um, still basically not even a teenager yet, really. And so we, we, we said that children have a conscience. Everybody's born into the earth with a conscience. But the eyes of their conscience is not opened until a specific age. And I mentioned the age at being 13. Um, and let's just have a look at the scripture quickly again in Deuteronomy 1.39. Remember that the conscience is given to man to let them uh, know the difference between good and evil. That was what their eyes were opened to in the Garden of Eden. They partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And they, for the first time they knew good and evil. And that's what the conscience is there for. Now, this is what God says about children with regards to their knowledge of good and evil. Deuteronomy 1.39, God speaking, he says, Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil. God says they have no knowledge of good and evil. And God says they have no knowledge of good and evil, then believe you me, they have no knowledge of good and evil. Um, he says, they shall go in there, to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. And so children up to the age of 13 have no knowledge of good and evil. The eyes of their conscience have not yet been opened. Um, at the age of 13, that's when the eyes of their conscience is open for the very first time. When that happens, the moment that they commit sin, whatever sin it might be, their spirits die straight away. Um, in fact, the spirit dies and the eyes of their conscience are open for, uh, for the very first time. Exactly the same um, pattern is followed as what happened with Adam and Eve. Remember, the eyes of their conscience were not opened. They, they first put, they, the act of partaking of the fruit is what killed their spirits, not partaking of the fruit. The fruit wasn't poisonous, as some people like to teach. That's not the case at all. Um, the act is because sin is an act of disobeying God. That's what sin is. And so when they disobeyed God by partaking of the fruit, that act was their sin that they committed. That's when their spirits died. But when they partook of their fruit, what happened was the fruit opened the eyes of their conscience. And so that which Satan uh, intended to kill mankind with, God used to save mankind with. And we're going to get to that uh, in, the, in the teaching as we can understand. So you know, it's a, uh, two edges of God planned everything. God, uh, salvation was planned before the foundation of the world. Everything uh, works together according to the counsel of God. He, he brings all of his purposes together. And so God um, knew that Adam and Eve were going to partake of the fruit, but he knew what the fruit would do in that the fruit would open up the eyes of their conscience and they, that would be their guide 
from there on out to be able to walk in the things of God. And so we saw that, you say, well, where do you get the age of 30? Well, just remember Paul, he, in Romans 7, 9, he says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And so Paul is just saying, as a youngster, when I was a child, my spirit was alive, because every child is born into the earth spiritually alive to God. We're not going to get into any depth on that today. Um, but when they get to the age of 13, Paul said, I was alive without the law once. The law is not applicable to children. God does not hold them accountable because he says they have no knowledge of good and evil. It would be, it would be unjust of God to hold children accountable if they have no knowledge of good and evil. And God's not unjust, so he doesn't do that. And so Paul said, I was alive once without the law. But when the uh, law came, sin revived and I died. He died spiritually on that day. So when did the law come? The law came when Paul was 13 years old and God now deemed him accountable for his actions. And so now the law came. God said, okay, now from today on, Paul, I'm holding you accountable for your actions. Sin revived. Paul committed sin, the very sin, the first sin he committed. Matt is not what sin it is. He died spiritually instantly. There's no grace period for children when they get to the age of 13. Believers, on the other hand, live in a different uh, dimension. We are under grace. And that is why when believers commit sin, their spirits do not die because we are under grace and not under law. But everybody else outside of grace is under law. And that includes every person on the planet. And so children, when they get to the age of 13, because they're under law, the moment that they commit the very first sin, their spirit dies. And that is what transpired. But at the same time, at that point, the eyes of their conscience is opened. And their conscience is then given to them for the rest of their lives to guide them to do what is right and to shun what is evil. And so we want to, in today's teaching, concentrate more on the conscience of the unbeliever and just understand what role the conscience of man plays in an unbeliever's life. It helps us to understand when we look at things going on around us in the world, okay, well, that's why that happens, and that's why that happens, because we have more insight, because we know about this thing called the conscience, and it gives us insight into the behavior of mankind, both believer and unbeliever alike. But today we want to focus on the behavior of believers. And so a scripture I want to look at is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. The scripture says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And so here is a case of certain individuals who had had their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, if you look at a, um, what a hot iron does, and you, you, animals get branded with a hot iron, um, which is quite cruel, but nevertheless it does happen. Um, what happens is that hot iron burns into the flesh of the, the, the hide of the animal, and it burns the, the mark on the animal. But what it does on that particular place where the hot iron has burnt into the, the hide of the animal, it has destroyed all the nerve endings in that piece of, of flesh. In the skin of that individual and that's what searing does it destroys the nerve endings so that if you go and touch it again in on that spot they don't feel it anymore because there's no more nerve endings there and so that's really what uh, searing something with a hot iron does it destroys the sensitivity of the skin that it uh, uh, that it touches 
Um, so, so much so that if you go and touch it again afterwards, there's no more feeling there. They can't, it, there's no reaction to it. So that's the kind of picture that the Holy Spirit is painting to us here. That you have individuals that their conscience is seared with a hot iron. So what does that mean? It means that the, because their conscience has been seared to that degree, nothing affects it anymore. The, the, you, the, you, can, you, cannot, you, you hear the term that my conscience was pricked. Um, uh, that person's conscience cannot be pricked anymore because there's no result. There's no, no reaction. There, there's no nerve endings in their conscience anymore to react to whatever. And so that is where the Holy Spirit is talking about, what he's talking about in this passage. So he's saying it is possible for individuals to get to the place where their conscience has been so severely seared with a hot iron that it, it, has no more, it, it serves no more role in their life. It's, it has no more impact upon their lives. And so now if you take that concept you can you understand how it actually works. Everybody's given a conscience and we all receive the same conscience when we when we come into the earth obviously God gives everyone the same conscience and that conscience is perfect at the age of 13 when we when the eyes of our conscience is open for the very first time. But now what happens is is that individuals and remember we're kind of just focusing on unbelievers at this in today's teaching. So what happens is, depending on the environment that the, the child is growing up in, they might be growing up in a very wicked environment, or they could be growing up in a very good environment. And so the environment has the impact of influencing the conscience of those two children. Let's just, let's just um, um, compare two different children. One grows up in a in a very wicked environment, one grows up in a very good environment. I'm not talking about Christians or, or unbelievers, no, I'm just talking about wicked environment, good environment. So when they both get to the age where now the eyes of their conscience is open, they both die spiritually because you know, they're not under grace, and so the very first sin they commit, their spirits die, both of them. But they both have a, a good conscience. Their conscience has not yet been influenced in any way. Now what happens is, let's look at the, the child who's grown, grown up in a good environment. They've been taught all along their lives, do this, don't do that. Mommy and daddy listen to them, don't listen to uh, strangers, things like that. And so that's what they've been taught. And their minds have been programmed in that process. We're not dealing with the mind today. We're going to get to look at the mind as well. That's why the Bible teaches us we need to renew our minds. And so they've grown up in a very uh, good environment where they get taught um, good uh, godly principles, even though the, the family might not be born again believers, they just, you know, we've always been taught that you don't steal, you don't uh, lie, you don't do this, and you do that, and you don't, you know, and so that's what his mind has been programmed to think along. So now he is now approached with, um, well, we, by his friends, we want to go steal something. His conscience is going to, you know, scream at him, that's wrong. And his mind his, has been programmed along that line as well. And so you know, his mind is also going to say, no, that's not right. We don't do that. And so his conscience and his mind are going to say, don't do it. Um, his spirit has died. So his spirit will allow him to actually go steal now because his spirit has now taken on the nature of the devil. Um, and so his spirit will side in with his flesh and will be tempted to go and want to steal something. But his conscience is very strong at that time because... His conscience and his mind are kind of hooking up. 
And so he doesn't uh, give in to that temptation to go and steal because his conscience just won't let him do it. Um, and his mind won't let him do it either. And so he, he keeps a good conscience in that area. Now you get the child who grows up in a very wicked environment and stealing is part and parcel of what the family does. So now he gets to the age of 13 and the, and the friends say, come, let's go and steal. His conscience is very alive right then and his conscience is very strong. Nevertheless, his, 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 his spirit now wants to go with, with, with his friends because his spirit has died. And his mind has always been programmed that stealing is fine. This is what the family does. And so he, he's, even though he feels for the very first time, well, actually, maybe that's not right. He, there's just so much against that conscience that he overrides his conscience and he goes ahead and steals. Now, when the unbeliever overrides their conscience, every single time they do that, they wound. The Bible talks about we can wound our consciences. And their conscience, your conscience can be weakened. And so they weaken their conscience a little bit. And so the next time they override their conscience again, their conscience becomes a little weaker. And again, the next time, and it becomes a little bit weaker. And so that's how the progression takes place. A person who continuously overrides their conscience, I'm talking about an unbeliever now, will eventually weaken their conscience to that nth degree that their conscience becomes completely ineffective in preventing them from doing wrong anymore because it's just become so weak. And it gets to the place where the conscience becomes seared with hot iron. It is completely ineffective. It has, and that's where you can, people say that that person just has no conscience. And that's exactly right. The conscience is actually still there, but it's just completely seared. It has become completely ineffectual in their lives. And so we can see that is why in unbelievers, you can have unbelievers that can become extremely wicked because they completely override their consciences and they eventually get to the place where their spirits are completely in line with uh, the nature of the devil. Jesus said, you guys are your father, the devil. Uh, their minds are completely uh, warped in their thinking and their conscience is completely seared. And so there's nothing preventing them from doing extremely wicked things. And so it's, it's quite possible for unbelievers to become very, very wicked. But on the other hand, you've got now the child has grown up in a good environment and he obeys his conscience. And you have unbelievers now, I'm talking about Christians, I'm talking about Hindus, Muslims, um, uh, Buddhists, uh, atheists, okay? Who, are, who live, and Jews as well, by the way, um, who live very good lives. Their lifestyles are almost exemplary in that if you were to put their lifestyle against some Christians, and I'm talking about born-again believers now, and you compare the two, you would think, well, that person is really a Christian because look at how good they behave. And you look at the Christian, you think, well, maybe not such a good Christian. I mean, you know, can you really say they're a Christian? Because, why is that? Because even amongst unbelievers, it is very possible for them to be so obeying, obedient to their conscience that their conscience is so strong in their lives, it just will not allow them to do wrong things. And so they've always they've been taught, do what is right and obey your conscience. And they do that and they obey their conscience. And so they live very good lives. 
Now that, they're not going to go to heaven because living a good life doesn't get you into heaven. You have to be born again. And that's the only thing. That's why the Christian who doesn't live such a hot life, um, a good life, uh, in comparison, he still goes to heaven. But the, 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 the sinner, uh, not, it seems like a weird term to call them, but in fact they are. Um, the sinner who lives a very good life still goes to hell. Because we only get to heaven because of Christ Jesus and believing in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so that just kind of helps us to understand when we look at people and the population in general. You can say, you know, that's not a Christian. I mean, he's an atheist. He doesn't even believe God exists. But look at the life he lives. You know, it's a, I wish that my children would follow that example. And I'm just talking hypothetically now. Because the person lives a very good, they give to charity. Um, you know, they, they just live good lives. They don't do bad stuff. Um, and the reason is because they have, they all their lives have learned to follow their conscience, and their conscience has become so strong in their lives, they just won't violate it. They will, you know, that's just not on. Whereas, as I say, the, the wicked person eventually weakens their conscience to that nth degree that anything they do will, um, their conscience just can't be brought to bear anymore. It is, has become completely ineffectual. So just to bring it to perspective, remember, because we said you know, some people can live very good lives, um, and still go to hell. And our Lord put it into perspective in Luke 13, verse 1 to 3. He says, There were present at that season some who told them about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so our Lord is just putting it out there that, guys, the only way into heaven is through Him. We have to repent and accept Jesus Christ as Lord. There's no other way. And so He says, you know, you, because they, they said these people must have been pretty bad sinners, oh Lord, because look what happened to them. And the Lord said, no, 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 they weren't any worse sinners than everybody else on the planet. He said, but all of you, unless you repent, are all going to end up in the same place. You're all going to perish. And so, you know, the Lord's just put in, uh, into perspective that living a good life is right and it's good and obeying our conscience is right and it's good, unbeliever. That's right. But nevertheless, unless you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, your eternity is going to be in, is spent uh, in hell and you don't want to go down that road if you can avoid it. And so what happened is the first time around... Uh, mankind just became more and more wicked. And so God had to destroy them. And he did that in, in, at the time of the flood. Let's look at the scripture, Genesis 6, verse 5 to 8. The Lord says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so it took mankind, if you look at the timeline in the history of man, it took mankind uh, from the time of Adam until the time, well, the, uh, from the time of Adam, 100 years old, don't forget, because for the first 100 years he was in the Garden of Eden, everything was fine. Uh, but from Adam until the flood of Noah, 
there's a timeline of roughly about 1,700 years that elapses. And in that 1,700 years, mankind just de degenerated, went completely one way, became more and more and more and more wicked. And um, they followed after that uh, explanation I gave, where their consciences eventually just became completely seared. And so there was nothing preventing man from doing wickedness anymore, because all the children were growing up in a wicked environment. And so even though their consciences were awakened on, at, the, at the, the right age, there was just nothing that could support their conscience. And so their consciences would be overridden very, very quickly, and they all became more and more wicked. And so our, our Lord destroyed the whole earth, except obviously for the eight souls that were saved through the ark, um, and that was Noah and his family, because Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then we see the second time that God has to destroy uh, a society because it reaches a stage of wickedness, and that is in Genesis 18, beginning at verse 20. Scripture says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know it. And we obviously know that their wickedness had reached that stage because God had decided, well, Sodom and Gomorrah will have to be destroyed. And so there's another society. Now that society took roughly 400 years from the time of Noah till the time that they were destroyed to reach a stage of complete wickedness where God deemed it necessary to destroy them because there was just no hope for those societies anymore. Um, because even the, 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 the children could no longer grow up in any kind of environment where their consciences could be encouraged to, to do what is right. Um, not encouraged, but they could, uh, start, could obey their conscience. But everything in society just taught them to disobey their conscience and thus uh, get to the place where they became completely wicked. And, you know, the, 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 the traits of a society that becomes completely wicked, we kind of think, all right, well, then they must have all been um, like gangsters and they must have all been uh, like mafia people. Um, but, you know, our Lord actually paints a different picture of what those societies look like. Let's have a look at what uh, uh, Jesus spoke to us about uh, with regards to Noah's society before the flood and with regards to Sodom and Gomorrah's society before they were destroyed by God by fire. And that's in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 26. Our Lord says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And so the, the societies are pretty normal from what we can see. They get, they, they're having weddings, you know, they're, they're giving each in marriage, they're marrying, they're building, they're building infrastructure, they're building homes, they're planting, they, you know, they, they've got a farming, agriculture, businesses going. So they're doing all the normal stuff of, of life. Um, and yet God deems them to be wicked enough that he has to destroy them. So what is the underlying factor that we're not seeing in the picture that the Lord paints for us? If we go look at um, what Jude and Peter paint for us, they give us a different picture entirely. 
And uh, 2 Peter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Um, and delivered righteous lot who oppressed by who was oppressed by their filthy the filthy conduct of the wicked. So we know that their conduct was filthy, and we know what happened when the angels came into the city with Lot, for argument's sake, um, and how you know the people actually wanted to um, to have sexual intercourse with the angels, men with men, um, which was you know obviously not on. But that's how that's the the filthy conduct that they were doing. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Um, and he, he goes on to say in verse 10, he says, Especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. And, and so and you can read it in Jude as well. Jude talks about, uh, that they have given themselves over to sexual immorality, gone after strange flesh, or set forth an example. Um, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, they speak evil of dignitaries. And so the, 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 the societies that God deems um, necessary for destruction are firstly they were un ungodly societies. Now what does it mean to be ungodly in God's eyes? It means that they just did not recognize God anymore. There was no fear of God in, uh, before them. They had no fear of God anymore. They were religious. They were having mar uh, marriage ceremonies. Uh, you know, they were doing things that were religiously right, but they, there was no, God wasn't involved anymore. So there's the one aspect of that kind of society. Um, the second aspect is that they've just given them over, themselves over to tolerate all kinds of sexual immorality that you can think of. And think about the world today. It's becoming more and more tolerant of all forms of sexual immorality. And that's the kind of society that existed in Noah's day and in Lot's day as well. Um, and they rejected and despised all forms of authority. And so, you know, that's the kind of a, a, a society that just says, you know, we're going to do what we want to do. Don't tell us what we, we need to do. You know, we will decide what is right and what is wrong. Well, there you go. Now, they, that's the kind of society that God deems to be wicked. And uh, there are other aspects to those societies I don't want to get into today. But nevertheless, all of those societies had completely overridden their consciences and their consciences were no longer able to be brought to bear to get them to do the right thing. And so God eventually had to destroy them. And the, the, the earth is, is, is headed in that direction again. She's becoming more... Our Lord said, because lawlessness will abound in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. And so this world will become more and more lawless. Uh, it will abound and more and more wicked. And so God will eventually say, okay, enough's enough. I'm going to judge, just as he judged Noah's time, and he judged in Lot. Um, but the conscience of man, the unbeliever, is given to him for one other good purpose, and that is a very important purpose. And that is that the conscience is there to convict the unbeliever of his need for his Savior. He needs to be born again. 
And it's the conscience of man that God uses as the instrument to bring that about. Without that conscience, God wouldn't be able to get that right. But he, he, they have a conscience, and so God can use it. Um, and so in John chapter 16, verse 8 and 9, our Lord speaking, He says, And when He, talking about the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in Me. And so the Holy Spirit's role in the earth uh, with regards to unbelievers is to convict them of sin, primarily the sin of not believing in Him, in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so the Holy Spirit uses the conscience of man to do that conviction. That's what he uses in order to get man to, to say, okay, well, actually, I need to respond to this message. I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Without that conscience, man wouldn't be able to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. They first get convicted by their conscience because before the person is born again, what do they, what do they have going for them? They don't have their spirit going for them. Their spirit is spiritually dead and has the nature of the devil. So the spirit of, of the unbeliever is not going to want to be saved. Um, the will of the unbeliever you know, is neutral. For our wills are neutral, by the way. Our will, we don't have a wicked will or a good will. We have a, a will. Uh, our, as an act of our will, we choose to do good or choose to do evil. But the will is neutral. The will is not, you, you cannot have a wicked will or a good will. That doesn't work like that. Our will is just completely free um, and it makes the decision. So the will is not really going to, uh, the will needs to be um, influenced. That's, that's uh, we, as we saw in, in the series on the will of man. It, it's what influences the, our will that, that causes us to make whatever decision we choose to make. And so what gets brought to bear on the unbeliever to get them, when they hear the gospel for the very first time, what gets brought to bear in the makeup of man? Now forget about um, the Holy Spirit working from the outside. I'm talking about from internally in the man. Holy Spirit can't work through his spirit. His spirit is spiritually dead. His will is only looking to be influenced. That's, so the Holy Spirit doesn't work on the will. And the Holy Spirit can't work on the, on the mind of that man because the mind of that man, whatever age they are when they hear the gospel preached for the very first time, has been programmed to think along whatever line he's been programmed to think along. So let's say for argument's sake he's a Muslim and he's been programmed to think all his life that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. And you know, now you're telling me about this Jesus uh, who's supposed to be my saviour. His mind is not going to side in with that at all, because his mind's never been taught anything along that line. I understand the Muslims do believe that Jesus is a prophet, um, so you forget about that aspect. Well, I'm just trying to get the, the principle across. The mind, the Holy Spirit can't use the, the individual's mind to influence his will to say, okay, I should do this. The only thing that is available to the Holy Spirit within the inward man of the unbeliever is his conscience. And so the Holy Spirit can work on the conscience and get the, that individual's conscience to convict them to say, yes, this is right. You need to be accepting this uh, person as your Lord and Savior, this Jesus that is being preached to you. You need, that's what you need to do. See, that's, where the, that's the ultimate purpose of the conscience, is to bring the person, the unbeliever, to salvation. And so remember, as I said at the outset, Satan had intended to destroy mankind um, by getting him to partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. But God used that particular fruit to open the eyes of man's conscience and gave him his conscience 
is the, is the tool that the Holy Spirit is able to use within the makeup of man to bring them to salvation in Christ. So the very thing that Satan tried to use to destroy man, God uses to redeem man. I hope you understand the concept. So let's have a look at some scripture that uh, just highlights the truth to us of how the conscience of man enables mankind to come into the kingdom of God. Um, and I'll look at the, the, the positive and then we'll look at the negative side because there is the other side too as well. And so the first one I look, want to look at is in Acts chapter 2 verse 37. Peter had just been preaching on the, on the day of Pentecost and they all heard now the gospel preached. Now some of them, not all of them, some of them on that day responded in a way that they needed to now get saved. Look what they say. The scripture says, now when they heard this, they just heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So Peter had now preached the gospel to them. They were cut to the heart. Their consciences convicted them. You need to accept this. You need to respond to this. The, the, and so the, the will is being influenced to do something. They don't know what to do. They, they replied to Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter then goes on to say, all right, this is what you have to do. You have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So they get the information. Their conscience is convicting. When it, when it says they were cut to the heart, that's their conscience that is being cut, uh, that is saying to them, yes, 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 you need to be responding to this. That's the only thing that is telling them, yes, you need to do this. And they respond by saying, all right, they, their will has now been influenced. And as an act of their will, they now want to respond. Peter gives them, tells them what they need to do to be born again. They respond and instantly they are born again. Their spirits are made alive. And so that is the tool that God uses to bring people to salvation. And their conscience was convicted. But look at the other side of the coin. Look what happens when, uh, same, when unbelievers hear the same thing preached and their conscience is convict, convicts them, but they respond differently. Now, in, in Peter's, on Peter's uh, occasion, they responded positively because they said, all right, we want to accept Jesus as Lord. Look at the, the, the instance where they now reject their conscience. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, Scripture says, when they heard these things, now the, 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 the context here, Stephen is preaching in front of the council. They've arrested him. It's a whole setup. They wanted to kill him anyway. Um, and so he preaches. I, the Holy Spirit preaches through him to them. And he's finished his sermon, and it's a very powerful sermon. And look at the response. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Their consciences convicted them. Because he, he kind of laid it out for them. He said, you guys are, are, are murderers. You've just murdered you know, uh, the Lord Jesus. And their conscience convicted them. They were cut to the heart. And look what they did. And they gnashed him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their, down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so here we have two very different accounts of what happens when... Uh, these individuals, their consciences convicted them. They, they were cut to the heart. In both instances, they were cut to the heart. The ones that responded positively, they, they, as an act of their will, they said, okay, 
We're going to go with our conscience. We're going to accept Jesus as Lord. These ones, they were cut to the heart. Their consciences convicted them, and they rebelled against it, and they killed Stephen for what he was saying to them because they couldn't take it anymore, and they had to destroy him. And so what did they do? They overrode their conscience, and they they, they weakened their consciences a little bit more. Um, you know, not all of them in this council uh, went to hell because Paul was there. Paul agreed to them killing Stephen, but he eventually came to Christ. Remember when our Lord appeared to Paul? He said, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, what, is, what did the Lord mean by that when he made that statement to Paul? Paul had been hearing the cotton. Paul heard Stephen preach. Paul had been hearing the gospel, and every time he heard it, he was cut to the heart. His conscience was pricked. Now, Lord said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, we don't stand that concept in, in, in today's language, but the goad under the, in, in, in Paul's day was, a, they called it an ox goad. It was a, 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 a shaft of wood, and on the end was a, a, a steel, a sharp steel point. And so when they were, the ox was plowing, the, the, the plowman behind would have the ox goad with him. And so if the ox stopped, then he would just prod him in his behind with that ox goad. And, you know, obviously the ox would then move on again because of, of the pain of the prod. And so what would have been happening is Paul had been hearing the gospel through various avenues and his conscience had been pricked. The, the, the goad had been... And what had, would happen, sorry, is that the ox would kick against the goad because obviously the ox wanted to stop. He didn't want to carry on. And he would try and kick against the goad, but he couldn't get it right, and so eventually he had to move on. And so that's what Paul had been doing. He'd been kicking against the goat. His, heart, his conscience had been convicting him every time he heard the gospel. But he was rebelling against it. And the Lord said to him when he appeared to him the very first time, he said, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goat. And eventually our Lord brought him into the kingdom. And so, yes, even in, in, in amongst the council that were hearing Stephen preach, a lot of them, I, I would imagine, are in hell today, but I think a few of them, we definitely know Paul, is in heaven today. And so, yes, you know, even though we do override our conscience from time to time, we can still be redeemed. But that is the, the role of the conscience in the life of the unbeliever. And that's how, uh, how his conscience is used of God um, to live a good life, but also and primarily to bring them into the kingdom of God. Um, and uh, the next teaching we're going to have a look at the conscience in the life of the believer. But we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today.